Welcome to Full Circle with Garland. I'm a leader in the DEI space and have spent 20 years of my career in human resources. I've been having meaningful conversations about career development with my friends and colleagues, many of whom are rarely heard on stages and podcasts. I am excited to bring you their stories each week. I will be sharing how their diverse backgrounds have shaped their work, the lessons in their career highs and lows, and the importance of recognizing the full circle moments in life. Thank you for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this week's interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle with Garland. Today's guest is no other than Jennifer Taylor. Uh, Jennifer Taylor and I met, gosh, a while ago, but it feels like I've known Jennifer Taylor for a long time because... Uh, she's just got this passionate, fiery spirit. She is like a powerhouse. You've you until you've met, I think Jennifer Taylor. You you don't know anybody else like her. Um, she is the uh, founder of Amber Culture, which is a uh, minority and female-owned private equity uh, firm. She focuses primarily on the Asian markets, uh, and I think brings her expertise. Uh, in that market because she understands it. Uh, I'm excited to have her on today because I think she will provide some great insights in terms of how she brings herself to her work, um, how she ended up in commercial real estate and just things she's learned along the way and just things she's passionate about. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jennifer. So happy to have you. Thanks for having me, Garland. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit more about how you grew up and what your background is like? I know that oftentimes, um, you know, no one grows up and says this is what they want to do, but they kind of land into it and realize this is, this is the thing. So tell me a little bit more. I was, um, uh, brought up by immigrant parents that came from the Philippines. So, you know, like most stories that you're going to hear about, um, kids that come from immigrant parents, there's, there's one common thread, which is, you know, nothing is given to you. So you have to work really hard for it. So, you know, like, um, you know, I I don't know if it's necessarily just attributable to Asians. Um, but we were taught to be self-reliant, not to depend on anybody but yourselves and your family for that, for that matter. So, um, when my parents, uh, raised my sisters and I, we were raised with the values um, that most Filipino kids were, which is, you know, there's a, a set of five or six pre-approved careers by your Filipino parents that you could go into. And so you can either choose to go into the medical field, be an attorney, uh, be an architect, an engineer, and an accountant. And if you didn't want to do any of those, then they pretty much disowned you. Um, And, you know, I'm really cheeky about that. They don't disown you, but there really is less support there because you don't really have that many role models unless they came from one of those, you know, uh, industries that I mentioned. So I fell into it. I actually was in my second year of nursing school um, and just so happened to to take a part-time job answering telephones for an executive suite company um, on the property management side of things. And I did that for about 10 years before I ended up on the investment side. Wow. So um, if you, I'd say, could look at some of the values to commercial real estate or just the work that you do, um, where would you say you got a lot of that from? 
definitely my parents. Um, the the work ethic side of it, obviously having to learn the industry itself would not have been um, through anybody in my family. But I actually take that back. Uh, very early on in my career, I was lucky enough to find um, a mentor that's Filipina. And, you know, 25 years later, uh, we're still friends today. So because I had uh, the very unique experience of finding somebody that looked like me, um, that came from the same cultural background, it was easier for me in my journey to actually uh, see myself in a more senior position, even at a very young age. Okay. Um, what advice would you give your 18-year-old self if you could go back? I mean, I'd probably tell myself not to pluck my eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I have, as much as I have. Um, but, you know, I, I think I would tell myself that, you know, that I was blessed with naivete and just to go with it because I spent so many years under that heading of, you know, you fake it till you make it. And, um, you know, there, there, there's this point in your career where you just want so much more for yourself. And so, you know, you're, you're doing all of these things and you're trying to learn more and say more. And, um, and you know, what I realized is that now that I'm older is natural progression is the best thing because people that go from zero to a hundred and don't learn the lessons, you know, sequentially you get to a hundred and you, you don't have staying power. So I would tell myself that, you know, it's, it's okay. Be kind to yourself. You're going to get there. So what led you on your path to becoming an entrepreneur, to starting your own business? What were those areas that you were like, I think I can do this? Um, you know, I think that I was, I, I think that I was built to be a serial entrepreneur. I mean, I, I look back, um, when I was young, I was in sixth grade and my mom would buy stuff from the toy district, uh, like Bobby, Bobby Brown and Michael Jackson, little buttons, um, and these cool like plastic bags and these little headbands that turned into sunglasses. And I would actually sell them at my elementary school. Um, so it started for me very young, but I think that, you know, also being a middle child and having heard no so many times that, that's that's the thing about entrepreneurs is you're actually we're fueled by dejection. We're fueled by the, the number of times that we're told no, because you don't actually process that word. You figure out how to take that no and turn it into a maybe and, you know, hopefully turn into a yes. So I think it's just in my um, I think it's in my DNA that that I, I became an entrepreneur. OK. Um, what's been one of the biggest kind of failures or things in your career that you realize there were so many lessons there that you learned from? I mean, it, it, there's so many, I, I don't even, I, I think at one point I started a list and the list just got too long, but then it also, you know, it, it, it all, sometimes it triggers you. It brings you to this very dark place of having to realize, you know, your own insecurities and whatnot. Um, you know, one of my recent failures is I spent a couple of years putting a huge development deal together, um, which spanned, you know, several, several, several pieces of land, um, you know, creating the opportunity, finding the entire team to put it together, um, identifying an equity partner, looking for debt on it. Um, and on, you know, one of the deals, which ended up being, you know, three pieces of land, 
the seller decided that he wanted, that they wanted to do it themselves. So, you know, here I am on this flight back from Hawaii, just feeling like I got sucker punched. Um, but in hindsight, you know, I look back at it and I realized that there's such a fine line between failure and success. I mean, you're, you're right on the cusp of, you know, this huge thing and it could just go away like that of which it did. So, you know, the lesson for me was in, in that particular instance, um, was to manage my periphery better. Okay. So you mentioned Hawaii. You and I have talked about Hawaii as a market and how it is very much a um, kind of cultural place where if you don't understand Hawaii, your experience there as an investor will be either very poor or you'll just think this place, I I can't work here. Um, Can you tell me a little bit more about how you've helped, I think, uh, create a niche for yourself within that market? I started, I had, had actually had the pleasure of getting into the market um, in the early 2000s. So I've been uh, doing deals there for, for close to 20 years. And um, many of the folks that I uh, have done deals with or that I just, you know, come encounter with or have come encounter with professionally have turned into friends uh, over the decades. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I do love about uh, Hawaii is that it's part of the United States. Um but it operates very differently in the sense that it's very much uh, influenced by Pacific Rim traditions. So my um, my investment thesis is focusing on Asian Americans. And if you look at the the states in our makeup, Hawaii is the only state that's made up of 50% or more Asian Americans. Um, so going there to do business was like, you know, feeling not so much going home, but feeling uh, very comfortable and very familiar with the people that you're doing business with because you you share a lot of the same values. So, you know, the uh, opportunity that I created for myself was to um, find a group of people that I really liked and that I really trusted that I did deals with out there um, that, that, you know, brought me, brought my partner's deals. Um, every deal that I've done out there has been an off-market deal, which, you know, which goes to show you what you're kind of rooted in in, in the network there. Um, and then I just coupled it with, you know, debt and equity partners, primarily institutional private equity uh, on this side of, you know, on this side of the water and to create that opportunity for myself, for my partners. So it's a place that, you know, that I, that I love. I continue to look for deals there, um, you know, and, and we'll, we'll, hopefully, you know, continue to, to write out my career and in investing in, in that a market that I love so much. Okay. Um, what's the biggest challenge you have right now and how are you overcoming it? I know COVID's been, you know, wreaking havoc in a variety of places. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, you know, I think it's what everybody is going through right now. And, and the biggest challenge is, you know, trying to find that balance, um, you know, of your ambition and your health and your mental stability and your motivation in the same place that you go to every day. Like, I'm sitting in the same place that I've been sitting in for the last six months. Uh, and what's been, you know, what's 
been the most challenging thing is my my life before you know pre covid was um just evolving my we have three kids two of them were off to college uh one was still in high school um the you know my platform was evolving uh i was jump starting that and now we're in a completely different place so you know we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're in the middle of an economic crisis. There's all this political charge. Uh, we're in the middle of a racial revolution. So I'm just trying to figure out how to, you know, how to stay motivated in this time. But, um, you know, I'm no different than everybody else. I mean, I think everybody, I think everybody that you talk to is just trying to figure out how to balance this all. And the way that I find um, uh, the way that I find motivation to, to balance it all is just, you know, to keep my eye on the prize. I mean, I, I'm old enough to know that the world's not going to end. But if you talk to, you know, my 17 year old son who doesn't have that much life context, he, you know, on a daily basis, I know he thinks that, you know, the sky's going to open up and the Lord's just going to, you know, tell us all to come home. So, but, but, I, but I do, <laughs> but I, you know, I keep my eye on the prize and I know that, you know, it'll be fine in the end. Yeah, no, my, my daughter's the same way. She says we're never getting out of quarantine. And I'm like, no, we, we are going to get out. It's just not happening right now. Um, so I, yeah, I totally get that. Um, how do you stay on top of things, you know, keeping up with the news, keeping up with what's happening? Um, are you a person who's just like, I just read a lot or people bring me information. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not the person that reads a lot. I actually, um, that, that's the one thing that I hated doing in school. And as an adult, I realized that I don't love it either. So all, all the books that I read are on, on Audible. Um, but the way I keep, you know, the way I keep abreast of trends is what I did best in high school, which is talking to people and surrounding myself with, you know, diverse individuals. So, you know, different academic backgrounds, um, different socioeconomic backgrounds, different ethnicities, different, different genders. I think that's what keeps me um, on top of, and, and you can't, you can't be on top of everything, but, you know, everything that I feel that I need to know is just through conversation. So I'm not, you know, trying to talk to my kids, like it, it's painful to, to watch them communicate with their friends because everybody's communicating with their thumbs. And, you know, I still come from the, uh, I still come from the old school way of picking up the phone and having a conversation these days. It's, you know, now it's not weird to, to actually have a zoom video. I think pre COVID, I, I would never get on a video conference. I, you know, would have to be, you're getting in trouble for something if you had to get on a video conference. But nowadays it's almost strange when people don't start video. They're, you're like, we know you're at home. Why aren't you starting video? Um, so I think it's, you know, <laughs> it, it's making sure that um, I continue to have that, those, um, those discussions with diverse individuals. Um, and, and I think that, you know, also understanding that uh, you have to have different conversations, whether it's, you know, a 30,000 30, foot conversation or, you know, um, kind of someone on the on the ground. It's 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 always good to find that balance rather than, you know, those high level conversations or, or just those grounded conversations. I feel very lucky that I can have, 
different conversations in different circles. So if you could remove all barriers and constraints, what kinds of projects, funds, work, what would you do if there was like kind of sky's the limit, dream stuff? It probably sounds really cheesy, but I'm doing it. I don't, my feeling about anything that you do is that you have to fall in love with it. So, you know, just imagine, just imagine that feeling of being in love and how you think about, you know, you think about that person all the time. And maybe that's just me. Like I'm still with the same man after 28 years, it's the same guy that comes home. And when he comes home, it's not butterflies, but it's, you know, it it really is. I am happy to see that you have come home. So, you know, I think everything that I do, has to be delicious. If not, then I'm not, I'm not doing it. So there isn't one thing that I'm working on right now that I would do differently. And there isn't anything um, out there that I want to do because I'm doing it. Okay. So speaking of what you're doing, do you have any specific, you know, launches, things that you're working on that you'd like to share? Um, Anything that you think this is kind of cool. This is what I'm in love with right now. <laughs> um, so what I'm in love with right now is I've actually been working on this accelerator program with one of my GP partners. Um, we've been doing deals together for about 20 years. Um, but the opportunity came about because, you know, where we are, and this may, may not make sense to some of the listeners, unless you're on the institutional side, but um Uh, there are programs out there for emerging managers. And um, what's supposed to happen is that capital is supposed to be allocated from institutional investors to um, certain operators. And that somehow, you know, hasn't, that hasn't been the case uh, for a lot of operators. And so I've been working on this program with a partner of mine. Um, It's an accelerator. It's an accelerator program to get, uh, diverse managers allocations from institutional groups. Um, so that's been in the works, you know, way before George Floyd or, you know, any of these, any of any this new revolution that we're seeing, it happened way before this because I've been waving this flag of inclusion for, you know, as long as sound came out of my sassy mouth. <laughs> okay. Um, can we talk about fire? Yeah. Because I think that's been one of your passion passion projects or just organizations that you definitely fly the flag for. Um, and just how that organization's involved, evolved over the past, I'd say, two, three years. Yeah, sure. So um, FIRE stands for Filipinos in Institutional Real Estate. And back in 2009, I believe, uh, my friend Gloria Gill, who again has been my longtime mentor, reached out to me and said um, another one of her friends and colleagues, Lou Camelis, um, uh, called her up and said that, you know, she had an idea and they wanted to start this Organizations for Filipinos in Institutional Real Estate. So we, you know, cobbled up I don't know, 10 people for lunch at the Getty uh, back in 2009. And and that was the start of it. So really just started more as um, a networking group where we got together a couple times a year, uh, primarily in Los Angeles and San Francisco. And then over the years, it morphed into, you know, different um, 
different areas where there were more Filipinos that were in uh, commercial real estate. So last year, 2019, after 10 years of being in existence, um, we finally decided to form a 501c3 uh, and, you know, put a, uh, a board together. Um, and so the focus of the organization is to help excel Filipinos in the industry through education, mentoring, and networking. And I'm, you know, I'm so proud to say that after all these years, we actually do have national presence through chapters in San Diego, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, Chicago, and New York. Um, and then before coronavirus hit, we were, at, we were supposed to be in the Philippines February 2020 uh, to launch the FIRE chapter in the Philippines. So, you know, due to where we're at uh, um, in this period, we've actually pushed back to the inaugural event being February 2021. 20, uh, um, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners? Because I know you've you're very involved and I'm sure there's stuff I may not know about. So is there anything else you'd like to share? Um, you know, outside of, outside of what I do for fire, I'm also on the board of two other nonprofit organizations. Swirls for girls is a diversity group for girls. That's focused on multicultural awareness, personal development and social impact. Um, and then I also sit on another board for, one of the oldest and largest Filipino nonprofits in the country called Search to Involve Filipino Americans, um, or SIPA for short. And, you know, I feel that it's that you're never too young and you're never too old to give back to your community in whatever way you feel, you know, or you define what your community is, you, you have to give back. And, and to me, that's the American way. So, you know, I'm very, again, I'm in love with all of the things that I do. So I give my whole heart to everything that I do. Um, over the years, I've realized that, you know, we don't have 28 hours in the day and you do have to give, you know, you do have to give something up. I just finished the book, um, The One Thing, which I'm trying to be better about. <laughs> Except my one things are still more like six things. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my goodness. Are there any other books that you've audio books that you thought this kind of helped change my perception about something? Um, you know, I, I read grit a couple of years ago, which is amazing uh, for anyone. doesn't matter if you're an entrepreneur or not. Um, I'm a huge fan of Malcolm Gladwell books. I, I'm, I'm a student of the 10,000 hour theory. So if you haven't had a chance to read any of his books, um, he's pretty amazing. And then as an entrepreneur, I actually spend a lot of time uh, listening to how I built this uh, podcast with Guy Ross. Um, I wish I could show you this, but I'm, I'm, I'm such a geek. I actually, when I listen to it, his podcast, I have a moleskin notebook that I take notes in. And then I take the notes and I transcribe them. And now I have them on, on pages. And so I flip every time I need just a jolt of um, you know, reassurance that I'm in, that, that I'm, that I'm not alone. I just go back and I read it, these notes. Uh, but it's pretty amazing to hear other, uh, you know, other people's stories and, you know, all the people that have been very successful. There's one thing that they, they always go back to that it's all rooted in failure and how, you know, that the acceptance of failure as part of your process is 
you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's essential and it's inevitable for all entrepreneurs. So if you are not one that deals with um, failure very well, then, you know, get yourself a therapist, get yourself a business coach, uh, get yourself a life coach, get yourself a coach that's going to help you through this. Because unless you're willing to face your ugly, you're never going to move forward. That sounds like great personal experience as well as just knowing that this is what you needed in order to get from here to there. So that's great. Um, so I usually wrap up my calls with a few sentences that I ask for you to finish. Uh, one of them is inclusion in my industry looks like. Me. Wow. Um, what does life look like coming full circle to you? Uh, full circle means to me seeing the fruits of my labor that I've worked for for the past 20 or 30 years actually effectuating change. And I, I, I want to add this to it. And I know it's, you know, it's way beyond my um, two sentence limit here. But, you know, the opportunity that my girls who are 22 and 19 had very recently to sit through the CBRE program and sit through um, the Eastill program to be part of these prestigious institutional programs that I did not have the um, ability to get into is full circle for me. So, you know, if I die today, just let everybody know I die happy. Wonderful. Um, thank you so much for your time for your, you know, insights, your wisdom. I think this was fantastic. Um, I will be sharing in the show notes all of the um, books and, of course, where to find Jennifer. She is, of course, always on LinkedIn. Um, but I think if you would like to work with her or know more about her or have her speak on any of your panels, because she's quite fantastic at that, too. Um, I will put that information in the show notes, but thank you so much. I appreciate your time and um, you sitting with me today. Thank you, Garland. Best of luck on this podcast. I'm really excited for you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend. You can find me on Instagram at Full Circle with Garland. And if you'd like to be a guest, go to garlandfuller.com. Thank you for listening and sharing your time with me. I hope this next week helps you to recognize the full circles in your own life. Bye-bye.